0: Control has served me quite well in a work capacity in some ways, but it's a work in progress when it comes to relationships and kids.
1: Welcome to The One You Feed. Throughout time, great thinkers have recognized the importance of the thoughts we have. Quotes like, garbage in, garbage out, or you are what you think, ring true. How they feed their good wolf.
2: From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board.
1: Thanks for joining us. Our guest on this episode is Sky Sports presenter Tony Wrighton, who is also the author of three books and the creator and host of the Zestology podcast.
3: Hi, Tony. Welcome to the
0: show. Hey, how are you doing? Thanks for having me on.
3: Yeah, I am really happy to have you on. You are the host of a podcast called Zestology, which uh, I'll also be appearing on, and we'll talk a lot more about that here soon. But let's start like we always do with the parable there is a grandfather who's talking with his grandson he says in life there are two wolves inside of us that are always at battle one is a good wolf which represents things like kindness and bravery and love and the other is a bad wolf which represents things like greed and hatred and fear and the grandson stops and he thinks about it for a second and he looks up at his grandfather and he says well grandfather which one wins and the grandfather says the one you feed. So I'd like to start off by asking you what that parable means
0: to you in your life and in the work that you do. Uh, Well, first of all, I really like the way that you've kind of based your podcast around this. I think it's, I, I always like it when a podcast has a title that it doesn't make it immediately apparent what the nature of the podcast is all about. You know, I thought, oh, is this like a charity podcast? Do they feed lots of people in in third world countries? What's going on here? You know, is it a cooking show? Yeah, exactly. It's 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 a nice idea. And it works really well. And I think in terms of the multiple personalities that I've got inside myself, the one I feed is very relevant. I've been looking into this parable before coming on your show and there's lots of different interpretations of it, aren't there? And it's appeared in lots of films and um, it's been told, retold in different ways. And sometimes it's not, there's not necessarily a good and evil wolf, but there's just two wolves. And But but the, the, the parable still applies. you know. I mean, which one you feed kind of grows inside you. And I think one of the things that I've been very interested in and very much looking forward to talking to you about is in terms of habit, habit forming and habit building and building good habits and staying on the straight and narrow. It's very hard sometimes to remind yourself, you know, just before we started recording, I, uh, I was telling you that I'm a new dad and I've got a four month old. And one of the things that I know works really well for me is meditation. I know I've got quite a distracted mind. I'm easily distracted. And just 10 minutes of kind of calm every morning does work really well. But when you've got a four-month-old, you can't control anything. And if they're up at five o'clock in the morning, you're looking after them and there's no time for meditation. <laughs> so I've I've desperately been trying to feed the meditation wolf inside me. But um, but to me, there isn't necessarily a good and evil wolf, but there's, there's lots of different wolves inside me, all kind of pursuing slightly different agendas. And I have to work hard to be disciplined to kind of follow the path that i know makes me feel a little bit more calm and balanced
3: it's definitely true that there's two wolves inside of us is a definite oversimplification but i get your point around the parable for me just is basically about choice right it's just about what choices yeah. are we making and so we were just talking a minute ago about how having a newborn suddenly makes you have a lot less control. And so, you know, that is one of the sort of challenges in life or one of the things that I always think is at the center of my questions in life, which is about accepting things the way they are and trying to make things better. And I think that, you know, life is a skillful dance between those two poles, so to speak.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I would certainly veer towards the control side I think and that's something I've, I've worked on you know I mean my day job is I'm a tv presenter here in the UK and I worked really hard for that job and I trained in NLP for kind of you know, started training that about 15 years ago and a lot of neuro-linguistic programming skills are based around goal setting or outcome setting as you might say and you know with the with the job at sky sports i really wanted it and i wrote it down and i did self-hypnosis around it and i um, set all these anchors and goals and outcomes and i did everything i could i modeled the presenters that were already on there and in the end i got the job but then when it comes to many things in life like relationships and children um i wasn't so good at that part of it because I couldn't control it, and therefore and therefore, I wasn't very successful in that area. So, yeah, control has served me quite well in a work capacity in some ways, but it's a work in progress when it comes to relationships and kids. Hopefully I've got a bit better anyway. I hope my girlfriend would tell you that anyway.
3: <laughs> yeah, well, no, relationships and uh... – Children and all that stuff. You're right. As an area that control doesn't really work, and and I think as I've gotten older, you know, I was sharing with you my son is in college, so I'm, you know, I'm obviously a little bit older than you are, and and I think for me, it's really been in the in the later years for me that I think I've gotten a deeper sense of the value of letting go of control. Um, I think that mm-hmm. I have a tendency too to very much be about control, right, and and very much be about, well, if you just do this and you do this and you do this and you do that, then you'll be happy, then you'll be mentally healthy, then you'll be this, then you'll be that. And there is no doubt that there are lots and lots of things that we can and probably should do in life that give us the greatest chance of happiness and fulfillment and meaning and all that. And life just does its own thing sometimes, no matter how hard we try. It just throws stuff at us that a lot of times is just beyond what we can control.
0: Yeah the apple of your eye, your child is college age, you really have to let go because they're going to go and do their own thing anyway, right? (laughs) Yeah,
3: I think that's, I was talking with a coaching client earlier today and one of his sons, I think is like 10 now. And I was talking about how, you know, I feel like when my son turned about 12 or 13, I started really asking myself like, how much control do I have? I mean, obviously I can be like, come home at this time, do that. But it seemed like more and more at that age, it was like what his peers were saying to him was so much more important than what I was saying. And, you know, as he, yeah. as he got older through his teenage years, I think I made a very conscious effort to try and sort of let the leash out a little bit more and more and more knowing that, like you said,
0: once he turns 18, the leash is kind of gone. I know you've had Gabor Mate on your podcast, haven't you? Yeah, we have. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I wonder if he spoke at all about parenting because he's got some fascinating, he's actually written a book called, uh, I think it's, Time to parent or something like that. Anyway, he has some really fascinating thoughts about parenting. And I read his book whilst my partner Faith was pregnant. And um, I found it quite daunting, actually, because uh, because there's so much to learn. But again, you know, I mean, okay, you learn so much and then try not to control it and provide a loving home and then send them off into the world and hope for the best, I suppose.
3: That's right. Yeah. No, it's not something Gabor and I talked about or Dr. Mate or however we should refer to him. You know, we mostly focused on addiction. But funny enough, in, in this earlier conversation with one of my coaching clients, we were talking about that very idea. And I was saying that, you know, to me, parenting is one of those things that you just never quite feel like you do good enough. Like, Mm. it doesn't matter what you try. You you can only do so much, right? We just inevitably come across our own limitations. Um, At least I did kind of over and over and over again. And yet, in you know, thankfully, knock on wood, in my son's case, he's, you know, so far, he's doing really, really well. And I think you kind of said what to me is the most important part, which is sort of this idea of providing a loving and supporting environment, you know, not a lenient um, coddling environment, but definitely a loving and supporting environment.
0: Well, Eric, I have to tell you right now, I have provided a very loving and supportive environment for my four month old son. And in a distant (laughs) corner of the house, he's screaming his head off, not wanting to go to bed. So you can only do so much. You can only do so much. Well, the good news (laughs) is
3: I can't, I can't really hear him. And I hope the little guy gets to sleep here soon. Good though, thank you.
0: Yeah, he'll be all right.
3: So your podcast is called Zestology. And yes. you know, as I understand it, it's primarily around energy. But but tell me why you named it that and what it means to you.
0: Well I um as I said, I was a kind of TV presenter and I've been doing that for quite a long time and Uh, I'd written these books around NLP, you know, how people do things well, neuro linguistic programming. Um, And then it turned out I wasn't very doing things very well. Um, Particularly when I got ill, I went to the jungle, I went on holiday to the Philippines, and we stayed in this beautiful place in the middle of nowhere. It was a retreat called the farm, kind of about an hour or so outside Manila. And uh, we had nothing more to worry about than Um, what smoothie we were going to have for breakfast and the kind of squawk of the parrots in the trees. And then I got quite ill, quite seriously ill. I picked up this virus that was so rare that the doctors that I saw when I got back, they, they were specialists and they said, you know, we know you've had a virus, but we can't tell you what the virus was. We just know that there are some viruses that haven't been discovered yet. And, um, Ended up spending a few months in bed, and I wasn't working in TV, and I, I didn't really ever know if I'd get out of bed. And in the kind of deepest, darkest recesses of those few months, I thought, if I start to get back to full health, it'd be great to do a podcast on energy. And I thought of the name Zestology then. So that's kind of how it was born. I thought, you know, without energy, you can't do anything, and when you've got loads of energy, you feel you can take on the world. So that was the basic premise behind the podcast and now it's become quite a fun adventure i've traveled around the place i've been to your country loads of times and you know, been to various health conferences and retreats and uh, thankfully got back to full health as well and and tried some fun unusual kind of wacky experiments but for more energy along the way some of them work and some of them don't
3: what would you say for you are some of the key principles for managing energy not necessarily like the exact thing you do but like how do you think about or how do you advise people to think about if they want to have more energy in life what's what's the process
0: the first thing to say is that all the really fun stuff is what people want to talk about they want to hear about the cryotherapy have you done cryotherapy i have i have yeah it's it's good fun isn't
2: it
3: well it's cold
0: hit <laughs> it that's that's the that's the answer of a man who didn't love his cryotherapy session
3: i i didn't have a strong feeling about it one way or the other i didn't really notice i found it invigorating and refreshing but i i can't really say that like i left there and like three hours later i was still like yes this has changed my life i just it didn't have a ton of an impact on me
0: hmm that I could tell. I mean, you know, I I think it's probably like a double espresso or something. It gives you a little boost, but it's kind of not the end of the world. But I tell you what, it does make a very good Instagram picture for anyone considering (laughs) doing it, because you kind of pop your head out the top of this tank and it freezes your body down to minus 200 and something degrees. Um, So you can you can do all the fun stuff. And in fact, just before we did this podcast, I took five minutes or so to meditate in front of an infrared light device, which is really lovely, helps in the morning with kind of bright light and with energy and it helps in the evening to kind of calm you down a bit. Um, But the truth is that a lot of the things that help with energy the most are actually slightly boring, which always comes as a massive disappointment when I kind of do presentations and talk to people about it. That You know, the, the stuff like meditating, sleep, good food, not, you know, lower carb, and higher fat diet just seems to work really well. Intermittent fasting is not necessarily the kind of the jazzy cryotherapy and the infrared lights, although people do like hearing about that as well.
3: Right, and those are kind of the basic fundamentals, right, that you're describing here, is basic fundamentals to well-being, and I think they help with energy, they help with health, they help with mental health. I mean, that's the thing I love about the, the things like exercise, meditating, good diet, and good sleep, is that they're they're positively indicated in so many different areas that you, that I can feel pretty good about doing them because I know it's it's helping me in multiple areas of my life and plus the main area that I pay attention to is I just feel better.
0: It's funny actually when you spoke about control earlier on. Um being someone who likes to control things, uh, when possible, I, um, started a spreadsheet based around my kind of energy levels and I started tracking various areas of my life and what gave me energy and what didn't. So I tracked, you know, whether I went to the gym or not, whether I meditated, whether I would take a magnesium supplement, for example, and all sorts of different things. And some quite interesting results came up and I was amazed to find that one thing, um, when I didn't do it on a particular day, reduced my energy levels by about 30%. Um, And I was really surprised by this, you know, because I tracked all sorts of different stuff. Can you guess what it was when I didn't do it on a particular day, my energy levels reduced by 30%? I'm guessing it's not the obvious one.
3: Um, I'm going to choose meditation.
0: It wasn't meditation, although meditation does make a a massive difference to me. Um, It was actually... When I didn't schedule any fun in for a particular day,
3: <laughs> you know what? I heard you say that on a podcast, which is why I felt like I should know the answer, and I didn't. That's great. So, did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did hear you say that. I've, I've listened to a couple of th- a couple of your things, and I and I did hear you yeah. say that somewhere. Oh, that's somewhere. nice. Yeah, yeah. And so that's great. And and so like for you. What are fun things that you schedule in and and were you able to get to a point of like how much fun you had to have and certain types of fun versus others? Like does watching Netflix count as fun?
0: I suppose watching TV is a form of relaxation. I mean, I've got a bit of a confession to make now and you should judge me here (laughs) um, because I'm judging myself. But we, at the moment, we have a new baby. This is my excuse. I'm very tired when it gets to nine o'clock in the evening. And normally me and my partner, we watch, you know, lovely documentaries, or maybe a kind of a really good, well-crafted Netflix series. But recently, we've been watching a reality TV show called Love Island, and I, I just shouldn't be watching it. It's dreadful TV. It's, <laughs> we always feel slightly soiled at the end of watching an hour of Love Island. Um, but yeah, what happened was when I, made, when I organized lots of fun activities in my day, I made a note of it. And, and this is going to sound a bit weird, but I basically measured it by giving myself a fun score out of 10. And when there was very little fun on a particular day, my daily energy levels went down so much that I realized that it's important for me to organize lots of fun. So today I was doing, um, I was doing voiceovers today and uh, finished work at three o'clock. And um, we met up with the family after that. We, we just went for a three-hour walk and a pizza. That counts as fun. So I give myself a pretty good fun score for today, I think. That's really interesting.
3: And it's an interesting thing to track. I have uh, listeners of the show have heard me say, you know, sometimes uh, over the last you know couple of years, but really the last year in particular, I was like, I have got to find a way to have more fun. Like I've got to find a way to do things that I just plain enjoy doing that have no purpose and they can't be things that I turn into something that has a purpose. Like I, if I'm not careful, I will turn a fun activity into a competitive activity that I need to be getting better at, or it's not, you know, back to, back to the sort of achieving idea.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And
3: what I found is boy, it's harder for me to find fun than i thought it would be like i i it, it's it doesn't come as naturally to me i've taken up um playing ping pong with a friend which i is unabashed oh, fun although it's, it's also yeah. very competitive but it is unabashedly fun like i look forward to it i enjoy it i have such a good time when i'm doing it you know so i'm, I'm continuing to look for other areas like that in my life
0: well you see i know from uh following you that you are a Taipei personality, you're an entrepreneur, you've got so many things going on at once, you've worked very hard to make this podcast a success as well. It doesn't surprise me that you're a bit of a workaholic. And even when you're playing, I bet you enjoy the ping pong more when you're warming up and just hitting than when you're actually having a game.
3: (laughs) Kind of, although I've really, as I've gotten older, I've gotten better. Like I used to play guitar. No, let me rephrase that. I still play guitar. I used to play guitar and be in bands and write music. And, you know, I had a. I had a dream when I was young that that's what I would do for a career, um, which was not really a dream that was ever likely to come true because I didn't work on it all that hard. And, um, and so what I found, though, later in life was that I would, I would turn music into that. I'd pick up the guitar and I'd start playing and I'd play something that was kind of cool and I'd be like, oh, I got to record that. What am I going to do with it? Am I going to write a song? And I've learned over time now, like, I just don't do that anymore. Like, I just pick up the guitar, and I just enjoy playing it. I enjoy learning something, and I've managed to be able to drop that piece of it. And And with ping pong, although it is very, very competitive for me, and I do prefer winning... I've also been able, my, my girlfriend asked me this yesterday after I came back from uh, a defeat and she said, well, was it still fun? I said, it was still a blast. Like I had a great time, but no, I hear you. Like I, that is the thing I have to watch out for is, is that sort of stuff. So what are other fun things for you? I, I think when I heard you talking about it, I might've heard something about Frisbee golf one day. Did I make that up?
0: Well, when you heard me talking about it, I might've been talking about, uh, there's an author called Charlie Hone and he wrote this brilliant book called "Play it Away." Um and Charlie Home was, I think, originally he was an assistant to Tim Ferris. And uh, quite a high achiever in his own right and author and everything else. And then he went through complete burnout and he realized the only way he could deal with his own life was just by having loads of fun each day. And the book is all about living stress free and living a much calmer, happier existence. And he says when he dialed down his ambition, he had a much happier life. And his big thing was Frisbee. So it might have been that. But I really like that book, um, Play It Away by by Charlie Hone. And in terms of my idea of fun – Well, you Americans, you know, I I love American culture. But one of the things that really disappoints me is you don't really get the sport of cricket. You know, (laughs) if only you liked cricket a little bit more, it'd be just so much better. It's it's funny. I worked
3: for, you know, uh, most of my adult career was in the software development side of the world. Um, And I had a job for several years at a large organization. I was a consultant there. But, you know, probably 85% of the workforce there were people from India. Oh, and right. So what, what started happening was we started organizing charity events. And so I got to go out and play cricket several times with people, and I found it absolutely a, a fun game, totally uh, very interesting. And the part of it that still sticks with me to this day was all these people I worked with, they were very mild-mannered. Very quiet, very low-key, very deferring. But out on the cricket court, they transformed. I was like, who are these guys? <laughs> like, they were so intense.
0: Fantastic. I mean, if you came <laughs> over to this country and you called the cricket pitch a cricket court, you'd be uh, – You'd be laughed out of town. But no, is, just, is that what I just <laughs> called it? The cricket court. Yeah, the cricket court. Yeah, <laughs> but um, it is a great game. It's what I like about it is you know because the biggest sport here and the sport that I talk about most in my in my job is football, right? Uh, or as you'd call it, soccer. Yeah. And that's that's huge. And it is a brilliant sport for its simplicity. But what I like about cricket is it's so complicated. I mean, even I would struggle to explain all the rules. And it is possible that sometimes you can play for five days. And there will be a draw at the end of it. And that's brilliant. I love that.
3: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. This can be really challenging to figure out. And when we try to deal with them on our own, when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I recently had a few things I needed to talk about, and I signed up for BetterHelp again. And I choose it because it's convenient, it's flexible, and it works well with my schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com. Dot com slash feed today to get 10 off your first month that's better help, H-E-L-P dot com slash feed that is a very non-american way of looking at things I think it's the reason why you know uh, soccer hasn't taken off to the same degree here there's just not as much going on although for a long time baseball was really big here and baseball is a slower sport but but it's really become NBA, NFL, you know, these really fast, high-scoring sports.
0: I've been to a few baseball games, and I, and I love it for the same reason. I suppose what I like about it is, you know, we've been talking about fun and relaxation. And I like the aimlessness of cricket and baseball as well. You know, the thought that you've got nothing better to do to sit at a game and just relax and enjoy. And sometimes there's a lot going on, and sometimes there isn't. That flow of a kind of slow paced sport i think is harder for us to get into than ever really because we've got so many distractions and maybe that is why sports like baseball and cricket are becoming a bit less popular sadly
3: yeah yep so what other things do you do for fun in your own life let's let's throw out a couple other ideas for listeners and then we'll we'll move on to another topic
0: I mean, look, I'm an absolute book nerd and uh, one of the questions I always ask everybody at the end of my podcast and I'll be asking you when you come on my podcast very shortly is what is one book that you would recommend? And that's a really kind of popular part of the podcast because I think everybody likes reading, but we don't make enough time to do it, don't we? And then the other thing is, I mean, your listeners are going to think I'm so square because not (laughs) only am I into cricket, I'm also into chess. Uh, I really like chess. And uh, I've got kind of really quite into playing that and um, even play the odd little game of online chess because it's just so relaxing. And, you know, talk about being in the moment. If you're distracted when you're playing chess, you're not going to play very well. So um, so I like that as well. And that those would all count as the kind of things that Charlie Hone would describe as kind of play and therefore I would describe on my spreadsheet as fun. So I'm definitely going to
3: check out that book. So what else was on your spreadsheet? So you tracked, you said, whether you went to the gym, whether you meditated, took certain supplements, how you you slept, whether you had fun. What else did you track to try and understand how different things affected your energy?
0: Well, the, the other big secret was switching off which is something that is not always easy for us to do, but we live such connected lives, don't we? And um, I'm a bit obsessed by the fact that when I switch off, I always live a kind of happier, slightly freer life. And the big secret appeared to be on my spreadsheet switching off. You know, the more I escape technology during the day, the more energy I have, which is really weird. But when I escape screens for a big chunk of time, and that is for like more than about six or eight hours, my energy level was about 20% higher. That's a huge increase. Right. Now, it's getting away from screens, it's not always practical. And even that is harder than ever before, because of course, when I started tracking this stuff years ago, I didn't have sat nav in my car, but now I do. And that's a screen, you know. So it is harder to get away from the screens. But if you can get away from them for a certain period of time, you might find, like me, that your energy levels go up a lot. And I think it was for me, again, it was about living in the moment and and having less distractions.
3: So we listed those main things. Are those the main ways that you focus on managing your energy as kind of tweaking each of those areas of your life?
0: Yeah. I mean, in terms of the, the main things that worked for me on the spreadsheet were switching off, focusing on relaxing. So Kind of on the days that I had lived a very relaxing day, and maybe that would include meditation, my daily energy level was about, I think it was about 9.9% higher. And then exercise really works well. I mean, mean, just so plain to see, going to the gym raised my average daily energy by over 5%. Um, One of the things that didn't raise my energy levels as much as I thought it might do is, I I like a supplement every once in a while, Eric. I've I've tried lots lots of different supplements. I don't know whether you're that into supplements or not, really. Yeah, do you take do you take many supplements?
3: Um, I kind of on and off again. Yeah, yeah. You know, mainly vitamins and things. Um, so yes, yeah, sometimes I take more of them than others, and I the jury is completely out in my case as to well, how much they do of anything. I don't know. Because I don't track things in the way that you are. I mean, I track things like, you know, I track basic activities, but I don't track them in correspondence to how I feel.
0: In in some ways, I think that's a good thing because, you know, going back to the parable, it's good for me to look after my energy levels. But if I start to, if I fill out the spreadsheet for like an hour in the evening, that's (laughs) bad (laughs) because it's just taking me away from relaxing so there's a balance involved isn't there as far as the right supplements were involved i was quite surprised that the supplement that helped most was magnesium but it only increased my daily energy levels by about two percent so not really as big an increase as i'd hoped for definitely something but i thought at least one of these supplements that i take would be a real magic pill effect you know a much higher success rate but no yeah, no, I believe
3: that. I, I actually do believe it's not, you know, necessarily like big, noticeable changes with a lot of that stuff. So let's talk about some of your other work. You, uh, you've written a, a few books. One's called "Confidence in One Minute," "Persuade in One Minute," and "Relax in One Minute." Let's talk about a couple of the techniques from the "Relax in One Minute" book. You know, things that we can do in a minute or so that can help us de-stress a little bit
0: okay well um relax in a minute was one of my three books so i started uh, studying in uh, nlp have you heard of nlp before i have yep <laughs> yeah yeah it's um it's a it's a very awkward name to explain it stands for neurolinguistic programming and it was invented in the 70s uh, by, um, a couple of guys in, in California, just when computers were starting to come in and they thought, we'll give it a computery name and it'll sound legit. And now millions of people do it all over the world, but nobody knows (laughs) what NLP is, but it stands for neuro-linguistic programming anyway. And, and really it's a study of how people do things well. Um, and I, I found it very helpful kind of studying in it from my own perspective. And actually I was a, when I started studying this stuff and I started using the techniques on my radio show and I i mean I didn't tell my boss about it because I thought well you know I mean I've only started learning this stuff a few weeks ago but it'd be quite fun to practice the techniques and after a couple of months he called me into his office and he said I don't know what you've done and I thought I'm in trouble here because I've really been layering the techniques on thick (laughs) and he said I don't know what you've done but your listening figures have gone through the roof. So, um, so I've been using these techniques to kind of get people to feel better about listening, but also to listen longer and maybe to attract some new listeners to my show. And that's when I started to think there's something in this NLP stuff, if you like. Um, so then there's plenty of persuasion stuff in there, but there's plenty of instant relaxation stuff in as well. So, um, there's quite a lot of stuff based around anchoring, for example, um, anchoring would be have you ever heard the the story of uh, Pavlov's dogs?
3: Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: Just to remind people who might not have heard it, um, Pavlov, very famous uh, researcher had his dogs and every time he fed his dogs he would ring a little bell and the dogs would be very excited because they'd know they were about to get fed because the bell equaled feeding time they'd start to salivate and after a while he could ring the bell and the dogs would salivate even if there was no food which seems very unfair on the dogs but that was the the experiment (laughs) so i kind of (laughs) i um I adapted that with a technique called the spot and I got people to put stickers around their house or maybe a sticker on your mirror. So you might wake up tomorrow morning, look in the mirror and there'd be a sticker on there, a spot sticker. And the reason that would work is because at some point in your past, you felt relaxed and we would have used that memory to help you start feel more relaxed every time you look at that sticker, which is quite nice.
3: let's talk a little bit more about that one, because I read that in one of your books. And so the idea is, I go through a process of recalling a time that I'm relaxed or a memory that makes me relaxed. I associate it with that spot. When I see the spot, I become more relaxed. But you also talk about switching them out fairly often. Is that just because after you see the same spot on the mirror for four days in a row, you start to ignore it?
0: Well, yeah, you get used to everything. You get used to everything in life. It's like it's like Eric, I've just moved to a new house and we moved here last week and we're so excited about it. It was a real doer upper and um, we bought it and it was in a real state and we you know, we got it cheaper because it was in a real state and we changed all the carpets and we've you put nice wallpaper in and that kind of thing. And um, every time I walk around the house, I notice different things that we've done that made it look really nice. Now, give it six months and I won't notice any of that. I'll just be right. acclimatized to it, but I'm noticing yep. it all at the moment. Um, so that's the idea behind switching up, by the way, before I go any further, thank you so much for doing so much research on me. I really, I really appreciate it. You've properly delved into my work and it's, it's very kind of you. (laughs) I try to always do that. I try and always, it's really, it's really, really impressive. Thank you. If you're going to take the
3: time to come on, I should have taken the time to, to, to know more about you and, and have a good conversation. So. I I'm, I'm appreciate it. It's nice to hear. I,
2: I really do. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah.
0: And, and the spot was inspired by, um, uh, a friend of mine, actually, Carl Morris, who is a sports psychologist. He's a kind of mind game coach. And, um, there was a, a golfer called Louis Eusthazen, who's, he's still one of the top world golfers in the world. And he won the British Open Golf Championship. And throughout the four days of competition, the TV cameras kept zoning in on his bag. And he had this small red spot on his clothing he'd had on his golf glove. And the TV cameras picked up on it. And after he won, everyone was asking about this kind of strange red spot and saying, Well, what's that all to do to do with? And he'd been working with Carl Morris, who's a friend of mine. And to help his concentration levels, Carl, just like Pavlov with his dogs, had anchored the feeling of concentration to that red spot. And I can do it with your listeners right now if you want to. <laughs> sure, let's do it. Uh, if you want to kind of do a similar technique. I mean, let's think of, um, as people listen, just look at something in the room that you're in. So, I don't know, it might be a picture on the wall, for example. Um, and if you're driving, don't take your eyes off the road. But if not, then find find something and, and focus on that. And now think about a time when you felt very relaxed You might have been on holiday or you might have been sitting in your favourite armchair and remember exactly what you could see and exactly what you could hear and how it felt to feel really relaxed as you look at this item that you've picked. And kind of turn the feelings of relaxation up, make the colours brighter in your mind of how relaxed you felt and make the sounds loud and vivid and clear in your mind. Remember exactly what you could hear at the time as you look at this picture as you look at whatever you've picked. And you are now using this process known as anchoring, and the theory is that the next time that you walk into the room that you're in and you look at this item that you've picked to anchor these feelings of relaxation, you'll feel that same sense of relaxation again. And if you're a bit skeptical about whether that works or not, just go into an old photo album of maybe a holiday, for example, and look through some of those pictures and see how you feel, notice how you feel that's anchoring in action.
3: Very interesting. That is a great, great technique to try. And the thing I liked about your books was just how quick some of these things, well, they're one minute, right? Which is, which is um, important for a lot of us. A lot of us, you know, I know that, you know, I work with a lot of people who the biggest struggle is finding time to do this, what appears to be a nearly endless list of things to do to improve our mental, emotional, physical health, right? And so I think anything that can help us do them quicker, I tend to believe that, like, along with little quick things, that I mean, it's in the tagline of the show when I, that Chris reads at the beginning, you know, it takes constant, consistent and creative effort to make a life that's worth living. So it is effort. But I do think the more of these little things that we can do as we're on the go and moving about our lives, th- that's great. So what's another one for
0: anxiety that you really like? This neurolinguistic programming can seem like a quite a complicated discipline, which is why I was quite keen to kind of break it down into these very simple steps and it's it's very interesting the way it's been greeted the books actually because here in the UK they didn't sell that well um, which is a little bit disappointing but there you go but then they did they got translated into loads of different languages and much more popular around the world than England so um so it obviously resonates with some people but perhaps not Brits in quite the same way um but yeah I wanted to break down the techniques to make them kind of very simple and one of the things that um we look at uh in nlp is something another great technical term sub modalities um but when when that um involves uh, your internal voice it can be very helpful you know buddhists call your internal voice the chattering monkey which sits on your shoulder all day and talks and it's not very helpful and says you can't do that and you shouldn't do this and you know that won't work and comes up with the worst possible outcomes to events so i work. Uh, with people to turn down their internal voice. If your internal voice is positive and happy and comes up with loads of great suggestions, then you can turn it up. But if the internal voice is not helpful, you can change the way that you experience it because after all, it's only in your mind. You know, if it's in your imagination, you can use your imagination to turn it down. So if you've got an internal voice that causes you anxiety, that's causing you problems, that isn't very helpful at times. And to be honest, most of us have. Um, you can listen to it and you can become aware of its tone and volume and perhaps where it is spatially. Is it behind you or in front of you? And then imagine you have a large volume knob in your mind and grab it and turn it down and start to turn your internal voice all the way down until it gets quieter and quieter, until it gets to one and then switch it off and enjoy the silence. So it's just a fun technique. And obviously, all the metaphors as is the you know the parable around which your podcast is created but these metaphors often work very very effectively another thing you can do with your internal voice is move it away put it in a different if it's in front of you put it behind you and if it's a very serious voice give it a cartoon character's voice Make it sound like Homer Simpson and see if it has the same amount of power. Right.
3: I love all those approaches to the inner voice. They're talked about often in acceptance and commitment therapy, which I'm guessing they borrowed a lot from NLP because NLP has been around a lot longer. But in acceptance and commitment therapy, often known as ACT or ACT, they give the same sort of thing, like make that internal voice into something that is other. Than you. We, we tend to hear that internal voice and, and we think that's me. And all the techniques that you just described are ways of making it other. They're ways of breaking uh, the term is in act, the term is cognitive fusion, right? We are completely fused with that internal voice. We believe it to be us, we believe it to be true. And all those techniques you just talked about are ways of creating a little distance between us and that voice. If you imagine moving it or turning it down, you, you know, you don't turn yourself down, right? You don't move your internal self, right? But you can move the voice, which helps, at least, you know, in my my perspective of it, helps to, to sort of give me some space from that voice.
0: Yeah. Well, acceptance and commitment therapy sounds fantastic. What else do I need to know from this? Oh, it's
3: a, it's a really fascinating um, therapy. I had a I had a listener who wrote to me several years ago. he said, "Do you know about acceptance and commitment therapy?" I said, "No, he's like, "Well, you ought to look into it because it basically sounds like your life philosophy." <laughs> and I went, "Oh, that's interesting." Uh, so I did look uh, into it, and um, I, I you know I agreed. It's very much at its most basic premise is we can't necessarily change how we feel or what we think, but what we can do is we can act in a way that's accordance with our values. So what they're really after is, you know, ultimately a very much an action focused. You act in according to your values. And as you do that, lots of things in life improve because for a lot of people who have issues, uh, psychologically, you know, things like avoidance are a big part of it, right? Like, I don't like how I feel when I do that or when this happens, so I avoid it. And then that just makes everything worse. The avoidance, you know, compiles on itself. And so acceptance and commitment right. therapy is really about like, of course we should do everything we can to try and, you know, minimize our mental and emotional suffering. But the other thing to do is to accept it, allow it to be there, but still act according to our values. And so that's the heart of it. But they've got so many great techniques. There's two guys. You might want to look into them for your show, uh, uh, Russ Harris and Stephen C. Hayes. Um, okay. Stephen C. Hayes has a book called Get Out of Your Mind and Into Your Life or something like that, which is just, it is such a good book. We've I've interviewed both those guys, and we recently re-released, re-release the Stephen C. Hayes episode because it is so good. So I love those guys, and I think it's such a fascinating um, view on life. They're very focused on mindfulness, right? It's a a therapy that has mindfulness kind of baked right into the center of it. So for me, you know, it does align with so much of what I believe, which is about, you know, it's our actions that we take that ultimately determine the quality of our lives. And again, you know, my, my most used phrase on this show, and maybe we'll talk about it on your show, is that um, sometimes you can't think your way into right action, you have to act your way into right thinking. And so acceptance and commitment therapy is, that would be a good summary of it.
0: Okay, yeah. And I certainly think, you know, authenticity is, is more prized than it has ever been. Isn't it? And and these days, because we all live our lives so in such a public manner, you can't get away with being inauthentic because people will sniff you out in a moment. And I think these days, our kind of public heroes and especially kind of social media heroes, they're the ones who are living in a very authentic way. Now, it might not be their values might not be something you, you agree with, but there's, there's an authenticity about them that it's hard to deny, and and dare I say it, Eric, and I'm probably wading into murky territory here, but the way that, that Trump lives his life online, whether you agree with him or hate him, he, he doesn't hold back, does he? He says what he thinks.
3: <laughs> that, that's right. And and that does seem to be a big part of his appeal to certain people is, you know, he's really who he is, which is actually, I think, is absolutely true. Although the thing about it, well, I'm not gonna, no, not going to get into it
0: oh go on get into it go on well i was just gonna
3: say that you know i think the thing about trump that's so amazing to me is that usually when you hear somebody's being authentic you're like well they're true to who they really are they're true Mm -hmm. to you know but but you know to me trump just seems to be like he's true to whatever mood comes up or whatever emotion comes up there's no deeper orienting authenticity there
0: Right. Yeah. No, that sounds like it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Or maybe the the authenticity is just simply the inauthenticity or or like, you know, I mean, he's authentic in in his ego.
3: (laughs) There's no. Yeah, I I think that's a pretty, pretty safe statement. But, yeah, I do agree. Authenticity is something that people seem to really uh, hunger for these days.
0: Mm hmm definitely. I started in broadcasting, you know, 20 years ago. And, um, and then the uh, I was a radio presenter for 10 years before I started working as a TV presenter. And the radio presenters, you know, they all talked like this. And uh, (laughs) they all had these kind of public personalities. And that is just not the way people really talk or the way people really are. And (laughs) now you can't really get away with that style, you know, (laughs) <laughs> That's a pretty good impression though.
3: I'm impre- That was that was good.
0: I know. I know I was almost that kind of radio presenter myself, but I managed to escape just in t- just in time, yeah.
3: Well, I think we are nearing the end of our time here, Tony. You and I are going to talk briefly in the post-show conversation. I want to talk about your Persuade in 1 Minute book in the post-show conversation. And I kind of want to talk about the difference between persuasion and manipulation. You and I'll get into uh-huh, that. In okay. The- in the post-show conversation, listeners, if you're interested in becoming a member, you can go to oneyoufeed.net slash support, and we have post-show conversation, ad-free episodes, and a mini-episode for me every week. So oneyoufeed.net slash support. Tony, thanks so much. I've really enjoyed this conversation.
0: I have too, Eric, and I really look forward to you coming on Zestology as well, and um, any of your listeners who want to kind of hop over there and have a listen to that chat with you, that would be great. And um, Yeah, it's just been really good. Thanks for all the preparation you've done for this interview. It's just (laughs) terrific. You're welcome.
3: All right. Thanks so much. Bye.
1: If what you just heard was helpful to you, Please consider making a donation to the One You Feed podcast. Head over to oneyoufeed.net.
2: From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought
3: in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... (laughs)
2: Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.
3: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp.